0: it's it's not about story it's not about acting it's not about performance it's not about rolling weird dice it's the opportunity to make decisions in a situation you may never actually get to experience yourself
1: Howdy, friends. I got to sit down and talk with Anthony Boyd. He's better known as RuneSlinger on YouTube. He's got hundreds of videos devoted to the philosophy and concepts and instructions around role-playing. We get pretty deep into kind of the history of role-playing what role-playing is now, how it's changed over the years. My favorite parts were the practical tips and advice that he gives, both for new players, experienced players, new game masters, and experienced game masters. A little bit for everybody in this episode, so sit back and enjoy. Playing a
0: tabletop strategy
1: game allows you to unplug and test your skills against friends. Every week, Third Floor Wars delivers useful strategies, discussions, battle reports and reviews to tabletop games like Malifaux. If you want to get better at the games you already play or discover the games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the Third Floor and the Tabletop Talk Broadcast. Craig here on the third floor. As many of you listeners know, I recently came back to role-playing games because of the lockdown. As I prepared to clear the dust off my Game Master skills, I came across a YouTube channel called RuneSlinger, and it's created by Anthony Boyd. Now, Anthony's been gaming since the early 80s. Ten years ago, he started a blog and YouTube channel devoted to role-playing with a focus on becoming a better player and a better GM. Now, he has worked as a writer, designer, and or editor for several different companies, including the Design Mechanism. And he's currently the lead editor for the Ubiquity system from Triple Ace Games. So, Anthony, welcome to the third floor.
0: Thanks for having me. It's a long walk up the stairs to get
1: here. (laughs) Well, and for those listening, uh, you know, I'm based off of the East Coast and North Carolina. But Anthony, you're in Korea, correct? That's right. Um, So how did you end up in Korea?
0: Well, it was one of those things. It's a common story over here. I decided to you know, refocus my energies and take a year away from everything and just come to Korea for a year and see what that's like.
1: No and, kidding.
0: Uh, that was in 1997. <laughs> and uh, the year hasn't ended yet.
1: Well, so I guess, uh, I mean, obviously you loved it there. So what, what, what made you decide that it wasn't going to be just a year?
0: Um, in, the ba- in the back of my mind, the reason why I had chosen Korea was to study a particular martial art, which at that time was only available here. And uh, I discovered it. And I, you know, I was very lucky. To, to get in with some great people. And uh, I didn't want to finish yet. And then one thing snowballed into another. And uh, I discovered I really liked the attitude of of people who live here. It was a very can-do attitude. And uh, uh, where I had come from, there was a lot of, let's uh, say, long frustration with joblessness and, and seasonal yeah. work and stuff like that. And there's a lot of people who felt like they couldn't do things uh i'd like to go back to university but i can't i'd like to do this but i can't you know i hear that yeah. conversation a lot but here i don't hear it i just see people uh trying new things and, and trying to upgrade their skills and, and move on to something bigger and better and and that was a kind of a nice environment to live in i bet and now did you know the language before you came over or no. did you, have you picked it up since picked it up in in bits and pieces here and there over the over the years and uh and uh, you know, got married, and and then <laughs> we just kept adding piles and piles of dogs, and and now the idea of of uh, going home is an impossibility. <laughs> I bet, I bet.
1: So, seeing this is not a podcast about Korea, we probably yeah, should yeah. move on to tabletop gaming. Um, so, one of the questions I always ask my guests when it's the first time on the show is, you know, how did you get into tabletop gaming? So, how old were you, and what was kind of the first thing that made you go, "Huh, I want to know what what's going on here."
0: Well, we started. Uh, one of my friends had a lot of older brothers, and they were into, uh, you know, war gaming of various types. And I never gamed with them with, uh, you know, their their vast armies of, of lead miniatures. But they had gotten into to basic D D pretty early, uh, Holmes and, and Moldvay. And in 1983, you know, uh, the famous Menser Red Box is released mm-hmm. for Basic Dungeons and Dragons, which uh, they bought and my friend inherited their older copies of all of these different uh, games and so we didn't know any better we started playing our own kind of mishmash of Holmes Moldvay and <laughs> then we quickly inherited the Menser boxes and, and on and on it, it went and then you know AD&D and so that's 1983 and uh, I was 13 Yeah, and uh, and I haven't actually stopped gaming since. So
1: that's funny because, you know, we we, some of your story we hear a lot, which is, you know, bigger brother, uh, friend of an older brother, hand kind of handed the game down and stuff like that. But another thing that's common that didn't happen with you is we always hear about a break. Or not always, but a lot of times. So usually happens college age. And then, uh, and I was one of them. I mean, I played through college, actually, but you know, after I got my first job, I just didn't seem to have time for gaming and about a 10 year break from gaming. I was just like, you know what? There's more to my life than, uh, you know, work, work and stuff like that. <laughs> and I found gaming again, uh, you know, some 20 odd years ago. Um, that's interesting though that you were able to, you know, stay in it and with it for all of that time. It, it, did your interest ever wane at all or has it been pretty consistent?
0: um it did not for gaming it didn't wane for gaming but uh i like to play a lot of games the first seven or so years seven eight years i was only playing DD. i lived in a i lived in a bunch of small towns there's no gaming stores anything like that so i had these inherited DD books and i found a secondhand uh set of and D stuff and this is all i had i was kind of a purist then too it's like i oh, only need the core books you know, it's all about creativity. Gary said so. And, uh, right. You know, um, it wasn't until I discovered Call of Cthulhu that I started to buy everything. And right. I'd go back and buy uh, older editions of stuff I already had. And it's like, you know, so I can see the development. And, you know, I thought I'm going to be a game designer. And uh, uh-huh. and that was all madness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Eventually, after a decade or so of of focusing on things like Shadowrun and the World of Darkness, I felt like I didn't have anything more to contribute to the conversation as the game master. I was feeling tapped out. And what I didn't realize at the time was that I was kind of in conflict with the games I was playing. Um, the, The World of Darkness was saying, you are a storyteller. You're a creator of tales. And that's not who I am. Uh, I'm I'm more of a, of a prompter and, you know, what if we were here, what would you do if we were here? And Mm -hmm. then the, you know, the players start doing stuff because we're there. And then I'm thinking, well, how does the world react and that kind of stuff. So I was kind of looking for, I was looking for a game to talk to me differently. Okay. And I stumbled across, uh, Hollow Earth Expedition and uh, by Exile Games and a game called All for One Régime Diabolique by uh Triple Ace Games using the ubiquity role-playing system. And it was very familiar mechanics, it wasn't very difficult to learn, but it stopped talking to me about this is your story, you're an entertainer, you have to write or prepare or craft or or any of these things. It's let's play. Right. Cool. This is Pulp yeah. Fiction. It's exciting. Let's get excited. And I was like, this is why I started to play.
1: Very interesting. Now, um, obviously, a lot of role playing um, throughout throughout <laughs> since 1983. Yeah. Uh, Do you ever get into other things, board
0: games, tabletop miniature games or anything like that? Or is it primarily role playing? Primarily role playing. Uh, and so I guess it's no surprise that it became a big Battletech player. Um. Yeah. Because there's something about BattleTech I've found over the years that people identify with the pilot in that mech. Even if you're playing with armies, there's that one mech on the table mm-hmm. that's, that's that's you. <laughs> yeah. So you know, BattleTech campaigns, and, and now now the role playing game is called A Time of War. Uh, but uh, yeah, lots of lots of crossover uh, mini gaming there. Starfleet battles, uh, just because you know. You really need one quite complex and heavy game in your in your repertoire, I think. Sure. And, and uh, that's a game I, I love. And here I don't get to play it. Um, but uh, Renegade Legion, that's an old game by FASA that, that died. But uh, it, it's like Star Wars without being Star Wars kind of thing. Okay, and, okay. Uh, so lots of, lots of space combat games and, and things along those lines. But everything always became a role-playing game. Got it. Anyway, so I, that's really my my center of gravity, I think. Very cool. Guys, I asked Anthony to come on
1: the show because I want to talk to him about role-playing. Um, he's got a, if uh, you already figured that this out, a breadth of knowledge um, about role-playing. So I want to get his kind of his ideas on what the state of the industry is. Um, and I also, for those of you that play role-playing, um, want to talk to him about how we can get better at it. And for those of you that don't uh, play role-playing games, we're going to start off by talking about why you should. So, Anthony... Um, the podcast we cover a lot of things on the podcast Mm -hmm. um but we probably the vast majority of our fan base is built around malifaux um which is um you know a tabletop tabletop game but it also has a role-playing game uh through the breach um that's in the same world so for those that are listening right now
0: um what can we say about role-playing how has it kept your interest for this long when we talk about Role-playing games, you know, in my circle of, of players, So we talk about them, one of the, the long-running jokes, I think, is how many, how many decades are we going to have to have role-playing games before the what is a role-playing game thing disappears from the front of the textbook? Yeah. Like you don't find that in a tabletop board game. You don't find it in a miniatures war game. What is a miniatures war game? We mm-hmm. only find it in role-playing games. It's like we're obsessed with not knowing what they are. <laughs> That's a good
1: point. I've never thought about that. <laughs> it is. Like, I mean, like Edge of Empire, like the first 10 pages explain to you what the hell a role-playing game is. That's funny. Where's the Star Wars? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. So I find that uh, I find it really important. We do want to introduce people to to the hobby and it isn't Anywhere near as big as tabletop wargaming, and in, in any of its forms, I think you're going to find a lot more like X-wing players than you are going to find uh, Edge of the Empire, or Age of Rebellion, or Force and Destiny yeah. players, probably. So, what is it for me? It's 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 not about story. It's not about acting. It's not about performance. It's not about rolling weird dice. It's the opportunity to make decisions in a situation you may never actually get to experience yourself. So similar to tabletop wargaming, right? You're not the commander of some kind of science fiction army in space or, you know, giant Battletech robots or the USS Enterprise or whatever. But in that moment, you are. Right. So let's zoom in even closer. Let's zoom in to the point where you're the boots on the ground or, or you're in the the captain's chair, and you've got to make some decisions. What are we going to do? Uh, Mm -hmm. Do we accept this contract or not accept this contract? Do we clean out the cave of goblins or, you know, whatever it is? And uh, that's one thing that the Battletech role-playing game does really well is present you with all the zoom levels. So if you play a time of war, you're the guy or the girl or whatever. And then if you're playing standard Battletech, the skirmish mode of Battletech, you've got a lance, you've got four people on your side, you've got four people on the other side, and, you know, that's another Zoom level, or we go out to bigger, you know, battalions and regiments, or we go out to interplanetary invasion, or we go out even farther, you know, to the whole galaxy in flames. Where's your desired Zoom level, and what do you want to focus in on? I think that's that's great. So, I would imagine, Tony, and all, or Tony, I'm sorry, <laughs> Anthony.
1: I would imagine, Anthony, in all the time that you've done this, that you have um, had many new players play with you before, right? Yes. So can you give us an idea, uh, some of the things that, uh, for those that stayed, right? So you introduced them to role-playing, and they became fans and played it for a bit of time or, or continue playing it. What are some of the things that they have said to you and um, on, on why it worked for them and what they liked about it? So they've never played before. You've introduced it to them.
0: First off, I find that people are are groping for what to say about it. They enjoyed it, right? It was exciting or it was fun or it was scary. I like to do a lot of of horror role-playing games or dramatic role-playing games. So they talk about the the experience of the session, the story that we made by playing. And that's cool. And that's yeah. that's the hook, I think. You know, uh, when we started playing when we were 13, it was because I mean, how often have you screamed at the TV? Don't go down in the basement. You know, (laughs) there were garden shears. Why are you taking, you know? Right. (laughs) (laughs) So um, that was the thing. It was that that opportunity to be in that moment. I I didn't care if it turned into a story at the end. I cared about what I could do in that moment. So that's when i know that we're connecting as as a group when people start talking about oh when you went through the window oh man that was yeah. fantastic all right it's not talking about uh, oh that emotional beat after we we finished the the uh, the negotiation when you turned and you wiped that tear away i i thought that was yeah
1: <laughs> right. Or, or, or the, uh, you know, you know, uh, you know, when you rolled all sixes, you know, when you right. hear people talk about tabletop gaming, you know, they say, yeah, I flipped a red joker on the, on the crucial hit. Um, it, it, yeah, I, it's funny that you say that because I, it, what prompted me to get back into this, um, role playing was, um, I have a group of guys that I go camping with twice a year and it's a camping for gamers thing. We got a whole Facebook to do ta-da with it, right? And anywhere from five to 15 guys will show up every year for any of the two sessions. And around the campfire, after we're done playing games and maybe drinking a couple of beers and maybe eating a lot of meat, um, <laughs> we just get talking about gaming, right? And um, one of the things that um, th- they kept... Getting frustrated with is they would ask me, like, what are my favorite games or favorite gaming memories? And as much as I, you know, focus on tabletop gaming, love miniature gaming, my favorite memories, my favorite times gaming have always been role playing. Hmm. And finally, they just said, well, you know, put up or shut up, Craig. It's time for you to run a game. So, um, so I get what you're saying with that, Anthony, because I, um, that's what it was for me too. I mean, I had not played role playing games in 15, 20 years. And still, when someone asked me what was, what was my favorite game? gaming experience. It always was a role playing session. And exactly as you described it as well. Um, how about for people that are say hesitant. So if you had a situation where um, somebody that you knew just because you knew them, you're like, you're going to like this,
0: but they were resistant. Um, how, how have you handled that situation? Um, I think it's usually some form of like, in my personal experience has been some kind of performance anxiety, you know, mm. um, well, what if I make bad decisions or, um, you know, they or they've heard something about LARP, you know, they, they think people are going to show up in costumes or something. And and uh, so setting expectations has been pretty helpful. Um, yeah. Because it's, there's nothing that happens in a role-playing session that that any adult hasn't done at some point in their life. We've all had to roll dice for something, even if it was just in school. Um, we've all had to imagine something. We've mm-hmm. all had the conversation of like, well, you know, if I had been there, I would have, you know, and that's it. Now you're a role player. You, you already know. And uh, I think that's a great way to put it. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back from this break,
1: we're going to talk about some things that um, Anthony can show us that will make us better role players. We'll be right back. Howdy friends, Greg here. Nothing makes Malifaux easier than having the right tools. Here at the third floor, we love all the licensed Malifaux goodies from Custom Meeple. Not only are they helping support this podcast, they sell custom-made weird licensed tokens and terrain. They sell it all. Crew boxes, terrain, markers, tokens, and even a 3 x 3 full Malifaux board. Custom Meeple sells a complete M3E token set covering every marker and token you need to play. Custom Meeple are the source for the official accessories for Malifaux. Everything is designed by hand and authorized by Weird Games. Check them out at custommeeple.com. That's with one M. Or follow the link in the show notes. Up your Malifaux game and be sure to tell them Craig from the Third Floor sent you. If you use the promo code Friend, all one word, T-H-I-R-D-F-L-O-O-R-F-R-I-E-N-D, you'll get a 5% discount and help support the podcast is valid on everything except retail products and playmats. So now that we got kind of an idea, um, you know, where Anthony comes from, where his love of role-playing uh, comes from, and I think you can already get a sense of um, why I wanted Anthony on the show. I find his perspective and his ability to verbalize um, certain concepts of, around role-playing to be um, uh, pretty cool. So I, I, you know, before the break, I said, you know, we're going to learn how to become a better role player. And it, the more I think about it, the more I realize that's kind of a terrible way to put it. Because, you know, if I say to you, my guest, when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about being a better Malifo player. That indicates that we're going to make you better, which means you're going to be winning. Um, one of the things that I have conversations with, with new players when I introduce them is, um, there is, there is no winning this game. Um, so becoming better for me, at least Anthony is about enjoying it more. Mm. Right um, so in your mind, um, what, do you, what are some of the things that um, you like to do to um, help people enjoy
0: role playing more as, on the player side? The, it's a, there's a discovery process. Um, there's a, a word I end up using on the YouTube channel a lot is spectrum. And I use it often yeah. enough to make myself laugh, uh, which means I have to you know cut and start over again. But uh, it's like wow, spectrum again, really. <laughs> <laughs> Time for a syllabus. <laughs> so we find that uh, I don't like to label. I don't like to say, oh, you're this. You know, you're the you're a power gamer. You're a butt kicker. You're a, you're a thespian or whatever. Um, there's a famous book, uh, Robin Laws. Uh, laws of good game mastering. And uh, and it's, it's an interesting read. It's coming from a point of a lot of experience, but it's also putting people in these little boxes. And I find that to be neither true nor static. Uh, I might be a power mm-hmm. gamer right now in this instant and then I might want a dramatic scene a little bit later. I haven't found anyone who is consistently any one thing. Um, and the idea of Of labeling people has always made me uncomfortable, especially when that label is willingly embraced by a player like, oh, I'm a, you know, I read this book and and that's me. That's who I am. It's self-limiting. And uh, and why do that? Right. So you're a gamer. You play games. And let's let's leave it at that. And so in play, we discover there are moments where you notice that where they are is not here in the room. Right. They're not smelling the barbecue Mm -hmm. from the camp out anymore. They're, you know, whatever. They're on Tatooine and they've got dust in their boots. And it's only going to last for just just a split second. But it's they're gone. They're fully engaged or some people say they're they're immersed, but uh, immersed in what? And a lot of talk is kind of pushing people toward immersing in their character. You should see what the character's seeing. You should feel what the character's feeling. And mm-hmm. we're not all wired to do that. You know, I happen to be, yeah. that happens to be one of the focuses that I like, uh, getting really into my character's perspective. Because like I mentioned, I, I get into role playing games because of making decisions. And that's mm-hmm. the most granular point where you can make decisions is, is in the role of one character. And you can even teach yourself to make decisions like, Someone else you can forget about the conversation of what would my character do and just say, I want to do this. But some people get into rolling all those sixes. Some people get into resource management. Some people get into being there with a group of friends and creating something or just laughing or telling Monty Python jokes or whatever it is. There's so many things to be engaged in. And I don't feel it's the Game Master's responsibility to be in charge of that. I feel like we are a group. Interesting. So we could have Bob sitting over there in the corner who keeps interrupting every time we get to a tense scene because he's uncomfortable with whatever the tension is. He's, he's worried about losing his character, so mm-hmm. he cracks a joke when we are about to roll the dice. He's, he is worried about uh, losing sanity in Call of Cthulhu, so... He breaks the atmosphere of fear. And, um, well, why is that happening? And how can we, as a group, find a place where we're all equally comfortable in the moment? Do we have to just kind of suffer through Bob's interruptions? Or can we play in a way where Mm -hmm. Bob doesn't interrupt anymore? And do we want to? Do we need to ask Bob to step away from? this game. We want to play Battletech with you, Bob, but we don't want to play Call of Cthulhu with you, Bob. And, and right. Bob needs to contribute understanding to that. You know, like, you're right. I don't like the horror games. I'm ruining the horror games for the rest of you. So, um, you know, do you want to give up on Bob or do you want to give up on the game? That's something that the group has to decide. You know. Or you add another game, which was always my solution. So we're going to play Call of Cthulhu on Tuesday <laughs> and on Wednesday, Bob, we're going to do our, our Battletech campaign and
1: What have you, so think, if you can think of some of the players that you've, um, uh, had in your games where you really kind of saw that evolution um, where they you know were relatively maybe new to role playing or uh, were veterans of role playing but through time you know spent in groups with that you you were there you saw them um, really reach a new level and when I say a new level again it's it's that level of enjoyment where they just they 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 fell in love with it um, can you talk talk us through kind of what you saw happen
0: um, um, there's there? there's two things I I guess I would want to talk about in in response to that question. One is simply, you know, there's there's that awkward moment. You've put a new group together. Nobody really knows each other. And you start playing, and because of the game, you become friends. I think we can find that in a lot of different games. Mm -hmm. Uh, First, you start to rely on each other because this is your hobby, and without them, you can't play. Right? So there's that sense of reliance. But then... You get to know each other and you've got stories from the game, but you also have pregame stories and postgame stories. And then you find that you're going out for coffee after the game. You've been there for four or five hours playing. You had a an hour kind of chit chat before the game. And now you're sitting. I'm Canadian, so I'm sitting in a Tim Hortons at two o'clock in the morning talking about a game <laughs> that was six hours ago. <laughs> then, you know, yeah. Yeah. that the enjoyment is real because. It has opened you up to who these people are, who these people uh, can be. And, uh, and the game was fun enough that you can just sit and talk about it and not play it. So that's, that's an important thing. But, but really, in my groups, uh, when we were kids, we always had everybody being the game master. We all had the same mm-hmm. books. We all had the same rules, and we were no—none of us had access to buying modules or adventures or adventure paths or anything like that. So we were all making our own stuff up, and we we're playing every day of the week. And everybody was the game. Everybody had their own campaign world. I get to college, and I'm meeting a lot more gamers from different gaming backgrounds, like the RuneQuest guy or the um, the paranoia guy or, or whatever, and. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. that was a good game. Um, So I I was finally exposed to new games, but I was also meeting people who owned games or who played games, but who did not run games. Right. And that was really weird to me. So for me, that sign of real I'm a role playing gamer is when they say, hey, I, I found this game and I'd like you to play it. And I'm gonna run it, and so I'm like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> 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 yeah hook that's set. Uh,
1: that's, that's, that's now, do you think? Do you think being a game master or trying being a game master makes you a better player?
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, because, I mean. It, in role-playing games, we're making decisions, and making decisions is based on information and perspective, and your ability to, you know, to see all the way around whatever the problem, whether it's social or tactical or, or whatever. So, why wouldn't you want to uh, experiment with the different opportunities that that game mastering provides? I think the name is off-putting. Um, you know, yeah. dungeon master, game master, the keeper of arcade lore, the storyteller. Um, all of these things seem to dump so much responsibility on a single person. And then what what label do the players get? They're players. What is their job? They play. That sounds awesome. I just want to be a player. Yeah. But you still need to know the rules. And you play for a couple of weeks and you'll probably know the rules as well as the game master so now you've got zero reason not to be and do you think that the uh the, the
1: fear of that burden um that that's out there that's that's what prevents a lot of people from making that transition or at least giving it a shot
0: what i've heard most coming back to me is i don't have any stories to tell i'm not a writer i'm not creative in that way and then i respond with well did you enjoy my sessions, and they say, Yeah, you're a great storyteller. And I said, I didn't tell any stories. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a difficult conversation. Uh, I've got one video in the in a Star Wars playlist where we had been playing Edge of the Empire for close to two years, if I'm remembering correctly. Wow. And the group said, The group finally got that I wasn't running them through a series of planned things, that their decisions and the dice and our shared knowledge of Star Wars was what we were experiencing. And it happened because of thermal detonators, actually. Okay. So now we got to hear that story. <laughs> it's a very short story, but um, in, a, in a very early session, third or fourth session, they were – they were trying to find somebody that was important to them, and they were trying to figure out if they could trust um, uh, a contact who wanted to hire them. And they encountered a bounty hunter because of obligation. Right. So things were very hot, and uh, this bounty hunter was on the tail of more than one of the characters. And for him, it was his lucky day, right? I tilt two birds with one stone. <laughs> sure. And it was they were dead or alive contracts, so he shows up with a thermal detonator. And they assumed that they had some kind of plot immunity. They thought the thermal detonator when it exploded was exciting. And wow, it was really cool that we, you know, we got out of the way. We got behind cover and we only took minor damage and, and yada, yada, yada. And then close to two years later, when they realize that I don't pull punches, that I don't yeah. tell stories, that it, I didn't save them. They're like, you used a thermal detonator on us. It's like, oh, yeah, now you get it. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't Definitely. save you. You saved yourselves. Right. And right. Wow it helped. Yeah. Through that process.
1: Um, so now let's talk about it from the other side. Um, uh, what have you found? Um, being some key concepts as far as becoming a better uh, Game Master storyteller, whatever we want to call it, as far as running games. Um, And maybe the way to frame it, Anthony, is um, what were your uh, wow moments um, where the light bulb went on over your head and it changed how you ran games? What were some of those moments? There there are so many. (laughs) (laughs) You you should have a YouTube channel. (laughs) Um,
0: Like... I think that the primary skills that you need are the same as being a player. But, uh, I didn't get to be a player very long. In fact, I played, I played one session and then my buddy slid the, the books across the table, said, these are your books. They're yours. You keep them. You know, I've got other copies. Uh, you're going to run our next session. And I didn't know any differently. So it didn't, it didn't bother me. He sat down and he, had a map and he had some, some creatures and he had the very tiny, you know, few page rule book. And it's like, yeah, I can do yeah. that. And what I hope to communicate is that it doesn't matter how big the rule book is, you know, whether it's a 120 pager or a 400 pager, you can do that. Um, yeah, you can just take it and, and go. But what I learned was. That as a player in my first session, I needed to listen to the descriptions because it mattered. That was that type of role playing we were making. If he had described, you know, dripping water, there was a reason why he was just taking the time to describe the dripping water. And, And so as a game master in my very first session... I had expected him to do certain things, right? Well, he'll have he'll have a 10-foot pole because everybody has a 10-foot pole apparently, <laughs> and he'll hang his lantern on the end of the 10-foot pole and he'll be able to see this thing in the roof. And well, he never put his lantern on the end of his 10-foot pole, and why would he? And you know, I had to listen to what he wanted to do and where he wanted to go. And that was the first big impact. Uh, but um I think more on that point real quick, though, Anthony.
1: um, So you're talking a little bit about like a nimbleness, right? That would be that's that's needed as someone who's running the game itself. So, you know, you you, you're expecting this to happen. You're expecting this direction or this decision to be made. um, And you've maybe done a a ton of preparation for that line (laughs) that follows after that. What are some things um, that you have done to be able to shift gears, to be nimble and to be able to react and have the world react to the decisions the players are making?
0: What I like to do in in my preparation is to think of it as preparation for improv or improvisation, Mm -hmm. meaning I don't know what the other person is going to say. And I have to start from that point of view. I'm not going to try to predict what the players are going to do. I'm only going to try and predict what my part of the equation is going to be. So obviously there's going to be characters in the background. they are going to be non-player characters. What are they doing before they get interrupted? I don't know what the interruption will be. I don't even know when the interruption will be. So what is a, what is a hoped-for timeline? If their day goes perfectly, where do they want to be? And do they have the skills to make that happen? And sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have to recruit someone or they're going to have to pay for something. And I start living in that, that headspace as the non-player characters. What do I want to do? And then we start playing. I know where people are going to be. I've done my prep for improv. I know what things look like. The Star Wars or Star Trek, or a lot of IPs, that's really easy. All you had to do for homework was watch the movies or watch the show. So you know what things look like, sound like, smell like. So that just means you need to focus on where people are going and what they're doing and what their shortcomings are, what they have to overcome. And then the players come charging through or bumbling through or precisely moving through in their own Mm -hmm. particular idiom. And you go, wow, that was exciting. And it's four hours later, and, you know, when the smoke clears, you think, wow, that was a really cool session. And someone should write that down, or someone should record it, because that was really cool.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, when you're running games, Anthony... um how, what are some things that um you do to make the world real? So we got part of it in when we just talked about, right, is you try to make it inhabited by real people, people mm. that existed before the player character showed up, exist after the player character, character show up, have goals, dreams, and aspirations, just like the characters, you know, that the other players are running. What are some other things that you do to make the world real?
0: I try to remember different senses. I'm going to say try to remember because, uh, Game mastering and playing, these are perishable skills, uh, believe it or not. Uh, You can have a sense of what uh, you should be doing and then discover an hour into a session that you're not doing it, right? Mm. Um, An an early one that I find a lot of game masters, an early mistake game masters can make is to tell you how your character feels. And then you get instant pushback, like, ah, I don't feel that way, right? Yeah. Yeah. so, that there's that going on. So, you can find you slip back into old habits. Uh, so, people who really like dice tend to, in a moment of panic or in a moment of stress, they tend to go to the dice. Yep. And maybe that was not the best time to go to the dice. And. Or we have these long planning sessions. Have you ever been involved in a in a planning a heist? And it's like two hours <laughs> yeah. later. And it's like, what are we going to do? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Nothing has happened.
0: <laughs> so one of the, the best ways I can make the world feel real is my real world interrupts me all the time. I'm actually surprised yeah. we've spoken this long without the doorbell ringing or, or someone deciding that they need to bark now. But uh, uh, I like to make time a big factor of what I'm talking about. I keep it clear in my own head. I have a sense of a a timeline that we're on. Not that the players have to do something on the timeline, but the world is moving. Right. And uh, so any role-playing conversation that you and I had together, that's real-world time. And I just keep Mm -hmm. track of the time. It's been five minutes. It's been 10 minutes. It's been 15 minutes. And what does that mean the rest of the world has been able to do in that time? Uh, Raymond Chandler, a, a writer I adore, had some advice that you know, if nothing is happening, have some guys you know kick in the door and start firing. Uh, <laughs> that's a little violence for the way that that I play, but it's very Chandler though. Yeah. <laughs> but there's the but there's the key, right? Um, something has to happen, and nothing will happen without nothing will happen in the world without the game master prompting it. The players going somewhere prompts the game master to describe and and. And interact, But if the players are stuck and soon they're going to feel like a bunch of guys in a room talking about what their characters might want to do, but there's this point of hesitation or they're hung up on something and you're listening to this and you're listening for the point where, OK, the plan is now like cy- circled the drain like three or four times. And, and uh, <laughs> all you have to do is. Raise an eyebrow or lean in or say, let's go back to the beginning and, and let's summarize what's been said or, you yeah. know, yeah, whatever. Or you might say the doorbell rings. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and that kind of gets into
1: another aspect of this, um, Anthony, which is, you know, if you search for, you know, become a better GM on YouTube, you're going to find a hundred videos talking about pace, right? And pacing. And I'd like to get kind of get a sense from you. Does that mean something to you? And what does that mean? And how much of it it is a part of what you do when you run a game?
0: I do, but I think it's one of those loaded words, kind of like story. Um, Yeah. So if I am the type of game master who has prepared, you know, like uh, I don't know if you're familiar with dragon Lance. I don't know if you played it way back in the day. Right, I'm, I'm a couple years older than you, so I'm a red box guy and definitely no Dragonlance. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> so to be charitable, it's a heavily scripted adventure, let's say. Right. So if that's your style, like if you have the ability to create these kinds of richly detailed worlds, if you can inspire people to want to do where your story is going, and so that group is in harmony, so the players don't feel like the game master is is writing a story if if that's you and that's not everybody right yep. if that's you, then pacing means something completely different than to what it means to me right you're planning your reveals, you're planning uh your pushes from behind or your lures from the front you're deciding if' is, you know carrot or stick and should is it okay for someone to die now uh, at this mm-hmm. point uh, you're thinking about the emotional life of the characters if you game master from the other point of view of of just understanding the, the, the fictional elements in the world, then pacing is all about the mood in the room right now. Okay. So if, if you're the storyteller GM that I just described, um, the players are more responsible for controlling their engagement in your story, right? Loving it, liking it. Uh, Taking you aside and saying, dude, this is so boring. I I really need you to change. (laughs) Whatever. But if you're more improvisational based, then are people faltering, fumbling? Do they understand what you are telling them? So then you need to slow down if they're not getting it or you need to speed up if they're like they're anxious for you to finish your description so they can do something. Right. So pacing has has pretty different meanings we all end up with story at the end, but was it prepared or was it discovered? Right. Do you have
1: any structural problems? So with the style of GM, of running a game that you're talking about, um, where it's, you know, prompts, putting putting the characters in a, in a living world and seeing what story they're going to tell, hmm. um, you know, and compare it to the storyteller version there where you, you have an arc, right? You have act one, act two, act three. Right. Um, is that something that you think just happens naturally in the in the style of, um, of of role-playing that you're talking about? Or does that not even matter?
0: I think it does matter. Uh, I think the, the bugbear that you encounter is consistency. If you're improvising, does everybody remember clearly what happened last week or what mattered to them last week? Um, do you suddenly, does everything come to a crashing halt because some person in the room can't remember an NPC's name? Or... You know, can't remember that this was a secret. I can't believe you just said oh, right. that. Right? You know. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't say it. Uh, that was me. That wasn't my character. It's like, mm, I don't think so. <laughs> so, there there are things that happen. So, absolutely, um, this matters. This the this let's say storyteller versus improvisational as a spectrum. And all the sh- right. all the shades in between. <laughs> I got you to say it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Everybody take a drink. But uh, the the storyteller has to deal with people coming off of the railroad or coming off of the the storyline, uh, and they have an easy solution to it. And the the pejorative name for it out there is the quantum ogre. Right. I, That's I first time I've heard that. Okay. So it's it's weirdly named. It it might be better as uh, like Schrodinger's. Uh, ogre, But uh, but here's the thing. You need them to go left because that's where the story is. And there's just a whole bunch of empty rooms and, and stuff Or there's a uh, there's nothing important to the right. You need them to go left. So they, of course, go right. And so mm-hmm. you just transpose what was on the left to what was on the right. In other words, you take away their decision. They're not right. telling you where to go the train is going to the next station regardless this is pretty much universally reviled when described and I'm not a fan of it either but when you're playing in it if it's done well you don't yeah. even notice you may know you may realize yeah. later right like, oh wait a minute you know, you may realize later. Son of a okay. bitch. Exactly. <laughs> and I've had that experience and uh, it's not experience that I, I put on other people, but there are players who like it. There are game masters who like it. And when they come together, the game is awesome. It's only yeah. a problem when you're at loggerheads with what's the right way to run, to run the game.
1: So what is your, what's your issue with it then? Um, uh, so you say it's really not your favorite thing, um, but it can be done well. Um, why don't you like it? Why don't you like the uh, saying? You know what? Um, the, I I need this to happen, and I'm going to manipulate the world to get us there, so that their decisions
0: ultimately, you know, they think they're making the decisions, but their decisions ultimately didn't matter. Well, because for me, at, at the heart, role playing is making decisions, and so you've taken away the one thing that I was there to do. Gotcha. But uh, if like I've got a, I've got a friend who loves the story. Like when we were playing, uh, he was he was. Writing out the story, page after page after page of notes. Like he could have just taken an audio recording, but he he wrote it by hand. And the goal was to turn it into a graphic novel. And I don't know if that will ever happen. But the thing for him, the thing that was drawing him, was the story. He was a yeah. he was an actor by disposition and by profession, and. It's all about, you know, the play is the thing. He liked rolling the dice. He liked the tension of that. He liked the interaction socially and whatnot. But he was always focused on what does it mean? What is their motivation? What right? He was seeing the story part of it, something that I'm not doing as the game master. Hmm. So for him, if I had been railroading the whole time, it wouldn't have affected his enjoyment because he was there to deliver lines. He was there to feel the feelings. He was there to play his role right when i'm in his seat i'm there to decide what my role is mhm you know he wanted to be the smuggler i want to know what it's like to be in a situation where i might have to smuggle to survive right so it's it's hard to describe it's different we can have the same conversation and and miss each other and pass like ships in the night and think we yeah. both had the same conversation so,
1: yeah, and it's, you know, part of it is is and which is part of what makes it interesting is it's a it's a free form game. Right. It's a game where, um, I mean, even the amount that rules impact is, is a variable. Um, and uh, I think that the unstructured nature of it, um allows for a huge you ready for any huge spectrum Woo. of of different ways to, to play it and none of it's wrong um i'm fascinated right now because i've got uh three games going and one of them uh only one person has really role played before the other four this is literally their first time it's, it's the campsite guys and um it's been very fascinating over 11 sessions now watching the especially those new players figure out what they love about this. Cool. And it's been different for each one of them. And it's also fascinating watching the veteran adjust to it <laughs> and, and, and still find what he wants out of the game. So um, that's very, very cool um, guys. Um, part of the reason um, that I first came across Anthony's work was uh, when I started to learn um, and decide I was going to run uh, the star Wars system uh, for these uh, camp, Uh, campsite guys. So, uh, and if you go to his channel, you're going to find what I will argue to be, I think, not only the most comprehensive, but maybe the best collection um, of videos about the system itself. So um, when we get back from this break, we're going to talk about the Star Wars uh, role-playing game system. And listeners, of course, we talked to Jay Little. um, So uh, I'll make sure to link that in the notes as well. We'll be right back. Howdy friends, here on the third floor you'll find us playing Malifaux and other games on mats by Mars. They are scratch resistant, waterproof, wet erase Marco compatible, and lighter than neoprene. These mats use a new material that almost eliminates any glare. Mats by Mars gives you over 40 designs to choose from. Pick a mat size, pick a design, then choose an overlay like the one for Marvel Crisis Protocol or Malifaux 3rd Edition, Strats and Schemes. It's going to speed up your deployment and the placement of strategy and objective markers. Until the end of June 2020, you can use the new promo code Third Floor 620 to get a 10% discount on your next order. In the notes, you can ask for the Third Floor Wars logo to be put on your mat for free. Again, use the promo code Third 620. That's T H I R D F L O O R 620 to get a 10% discount. All the details are in the show notes. So you guys that have been listening and uh, watching on the podcast, because we've had the live plays up on the podcast, know that um, I have uh, gone um, headfirst into fantasy, fantasy flight games, uh, star Wars system. Um, I've got, we've got the edge of empire live plays up on the YouTube channel. Um, soon you'll be getting a podcast with a different group of live plays. And um, it uh, it's again, how I found Anthony um, and I, A big reason why this system really kind of set its hooks in me is that I had been out of role playing for a very, very long time and a lot had changed. Um, I, you know, Anthony, you'll appreciate this. I used to run GURPS, like first, second edition GURPS. Right. And a lot's changed since you know steve jackson's Gurps and um uh, things have changed and when i opened up the the um star wars book for uh, edge of empire kind of blew my mind a little bit um because i you know I had not seen an evolution that led to it um, as part of what we talked to uh, Jay little about. Um, but let's start with you. So you obviously a fan because mm. you've spent not only a ton of time playing the game and running the game, but you have, I don't know, what is was almost a hundred videos, I think devoted to it. If I remember correctly could, or close to that, right. And yeah. So hours, hours, hours of, of time of you talking about it. What was it about this system that, um, that you found so
0: interesting? There's a there's a skill that the game masters develop, that players develop too, except it's it's hidden uh, to them because they're not you know in the position of authority. Um, but and that's interpreting a dice roll. There are a lot of games where what you roll, like the actual number you roll, is not terribly significant in and of itself. Like if if you need to roll under uh i don't know 14 you have to roll 14 or less it doesn't matter if you Mm -hmm. roll 13 doesn't matter if you roll 14 doesn't matter if you roll two you were successful and that's all that really means but i think if you cast your mind back it mattered to you that you just made it right so the description starts to change like if you roll a seven you get this kind of bland. Yeah, you did it. If you roll a 13 or, or a 14, it's like, oh, you just made it. You know, you're like crawling over the thing. and you know. yeah, <laughs> Everyone's excited about that. So, let's actually make that a part of play. Well, how do we do that? And the other thing that I notice about playing is that for a lot of people, introducing the dice or the mechanics is an interruption whether that's having to search through the rule book for a rule you've forgotten or or access a chart that you haven't memorized yet or haven't learned the pattern for yet. It's an interruption. So what if we take the numbers away? Yep. What if we turn it into color and shape recognition for the dice? What if we put a symbol on the dice that you can learn like this? This is a good shape. This is a bad shape. What do the good shapes mean? What do the bad shapes mean? What if we can make it harder for you to actually talk about things that are not game-related? <laughs> what if we talk about, this is a threat symbol, which means in the game there's now more threat. You could just talk about it narratively, right? Uh, I'm feeling pretty triumphant about this role. <laughs> so, it's, it takes some steps toward minimizing the interruption. And the, the pace of the mechanics are such that they're not they're not super fast. It's not like ubiquity or it's not like a D100 system where you you roll the dice all at once and you know what the what the situation is good or bad. So it's it's a little slower than that so people have time to think and process and they look at the pool and they see how things add together or cancel out and they remember why those dice went into the pool so, right. and they say all oh, those dice are now not in the pool, so they got canceled out, which means, and now they're telling a story just by looking at some lumps of plastic on the table. And I think this does a lot for description, which makes mm-hmm. games more fun and gets more people involved. It gets everybody leaning in around the table to see what the dice roll was, because you're rolling the open, which is another bold and good move. And then finally, um, it takes the blame away. Interesting. So the game master doesn't have to drop the hammer and say, oh, you you broke your arm, right? The dice are saying, look, not only is this a bad result, there are two despair showing. I didn't do that. I didn't put in the... the, I didn't roll those dice. You did. (laughs) I'm way over here. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, the dice are showing us the, the appropriate uh, turns and reversals of a Star Wars, ostensibly, but at least a, a pulp heroics, right? A space fantasy or space opera, uh, a Flash Gordon, an Indiana Jones kind of of narrative experience. And the dice are creating those moments of, of high excitement and those depths of despair, those moments of triumph, those mixed, ambiguous moments where you're not really sure, is this good for us? Is this bad for us? Yep. The dice are doing all of that work for you. So it's yep. like an experienced game master in a can. Interesting. Which lets people focus on description, whether they're the game master or whether they're the player. So everyone's there doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's that's fantastic. So that's the that was the
1: part. Of, now, obviously... Um, Now, did you play or were you at all familiar with uh, the Warhammer uh, role-playing game, which is really kind of the first time that Jay Little kind of introduced
0: this idea, or was the Star Wars game the first time you saw Narrative Dice? I had read about it, but uh, it was difficult. I I don't know if you've ordered directly from Fantasy Flight Games, but they've gone uh, internationally. I guess not. But uh, uh, it was difficult to get stuff. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to get into Warhammer in in a big way. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's a game that I had missed in in my different evolution. So lots of people that I gamed with uh, were into one version of Warhammer or another, whether it was the role-playing or whether it was tabletop miniatures. And I think out of a sense of self-preservation and my wallet screaming, <laughs> I, uh, I, I chose not to go through that door. Um, sure. But the more I read about it and the more I heard people love it, and also hate it with equal passion, the, the more curious I became. Like, I really want to read this, but I couldn't get it. And then I got Edge of the Empire, and then I got the dice, and uh, eventually I, I got the whole, uh, I'm kind of a whole hog kind of guy, so I got the whole line for insane. for uh, yep. um, Warhammer Fantasy 3rd Edition. And, oh, you went you went back and got the Warhammer. Stuff. I went back and got it. I I realized looking at the dice that that Star Wars is a more streamlined, uh, slightly faster iteration of it. But uh, I wanted to see it. I wanted to play it in its raw, in its raw state, in its in its first iteration because I'm my guess was, and it was confirmed that it would feel more like Warhammer than like Star Wars. Mm-hmm.
1: So, obviously, the and it really, I mean, if you were going to just high-level talk to somebody, what makes the Fantasy Flight game different, um, the dice is the first thing that's brought up. Sure. Um, was there anything else um, that uh, maybe not got you to get into the game, but really what why it kept your interest for so long and prompted
0: you to produce so much content for it? Um, I found, well, we started to play because... It, Star Trek and Star Wars were the were the two common points that the, the group of players that I discovered here. Um, I had moved to a new city, you know, new job kind of thing. So new group of people. What do we all like? We all like Star Wars. And they, and they were really excited about Star Wars. So I said, well, I've got the original Star Wars game, the D6. Uh, and, you know, that's always fun. But in my head, I'm going, but I've played it a lot. And there's some things about it that I would love to change. And then there's this new one, which I haven't played yet, so I don't know how it's going to go, and I don't know what you guys are like as players, so I don't know how you're going to react to it. So I've got these two, this war inside my head. Yeah. And so I said, I don't feel like arguing with myself, so I said to the group, do you want to play the old one, or do you want to play the new one? They said, we want to play the new one. Okay. (laughs) And the group loved their Star Wars, in that very first session, even though... I had the core book out in front of me because I wanted to start playing in a month's time. They wanted to start playing now. So we started playing now. I wasn't, I didn't feel wow. ready. So I had the book in front of me. I said, you know, if there's any special, you know, talent that your character has, you are now responsible for knowing what that talent is. Share the cognitive load around the table. Um, I'm going to ask you what kind of damage code your blaster has because I haven't had a chance to memorize it yet. And. Yep. You know, we printed out the ship sheets and had the stuff just in the middle of the table. And when someone had a question, we stopped and we became friends by mm-hmm. taking all the embarrassment away. Half the group, more than half the group, hadn't ever played any role playing game before. Some of them had never rolled funky dice before. So we bonded over that experience. And so there's a lot of things that kept us playing it for a long time. Gotcha. But it was a remarkably successful first game by, you know, in my experience, introducing someone to basic role-playing, like the D100 system for Call of Cthulhu or, or RuneQuest or or what have you, had been my previous go-to beginner game. It's a percentage. It's simple. Yep. You roll these dice and you see the percentage. And then the other rules you'll learn as we go on. But this it looks so complicated people panic when they see the dice (laughs) but what it's like five minutes maybe and yeah there are complicated rules in the game things like how does burn work how do guided weapons work but these are short paragraphs in a clearly written chapter and (laughs) if you follow my advice and read the book from the first page to the last page uh it will all make sense
1: so out of curiosity, after obviously playing other games since then, yeah. right? Um, uh, is there things that you brought with you um, from that? Uh, or, or do you miss the narrative dice? Are there mechanics that you're finding in the other games that
0: w- replace that for you? Um, did it change how you play? It it changed some things about how I think about play. Um, the way it was written is you have structured time and you have narrative time. And this highlights the disconnect we were talking about earlier. The game mechanics for many people are an interruption, or the role play for some people is an interruption. Right. So let's be clear about that from the beginning. You've got structured play, where we're rolling dice, and we're going to be talking about numbers, and you've got to internalize those mechanics so that the interruption is minimized for you. Mm -hmm. And we've got narrative time, where we are making decisions and we are... We are trying to understand who our characters are, so you've got to know what that is. You've got to know where you are, so that you are present in the moment. So I think that's that's great. This is a. It doesn't come out and say that they're teaching you this concept, but you learn it anyway. And I found yeah. it's it's the ultimate bridge game. You're an old OSR guy. You, you're really interested in in the old games. You want to keep playing some version of basic or DD cyclopedia or uh, metamorphosis alpha or something but you love star wars and you'd like to try this out the game has open arms it will welcome you in there's stuff in here that you understand and will guide you to the new stuff and if you started with some lesser known game that uses more experimental mechanics well the game has pretty experimental mechanics so Sure Come on in. and hey, look, there's this other more structured way to play that uh, you're going to learn and maybe that will be your window into older games, which are still pretty cool.
1: That's cool. So guys, we're gonna take one more break when we get back from this break, we're gonna talk about uh, the games that Anthony is playing now. These are two games that I'm not familiar with, so I'm really anxious to learn about them. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Alexander Zdanczyks from Riga, Latvia, and I'm a patron of Third Floor Wars. Those guys open the beauty of Malifaux Third Edition to me and continue to provide tons of great content. You can support them too. Follow the links in the show notes below or search for Third Floor Wars at patron.com. What is it worth to you to get this podcast on a weekly basis? Is it worth a dollar a month? Five dollars a month? Twenty dollars a month? If you'd like to help support the work that we're doing here on Third Floor Wars, please go buy our Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash thirdfloorwars. There you can pledge at any level, any dollar amount. Whatever you give us will help us put out quality content on a regular basis and hopefully make tabletop gaming a little bit better for you every week. Hey, need to give a special shout out to some of our recent patrons. Joe Hadfield, William Marjoram. Benjamin Chia, Alan Connell, Sean Fisher, James Whitbread, Bob Suderman, Nick Cromarty, Blair Thompson, Sean Ratner, Christopher Rue, and Cody Ravicki. Because of you and the 100 other plus patrons, we're able to put out all of this content. Thank you. So when Anthony and I first connected um, and he made the mistake of saying, yes, he'd come on the show. Um, one of the questions I asked him was, um, you know, what are you playing now? Because I noticed that, um, you know, the uh, Fantasy Flight videos um, were older. Um, and he talked about, uh, two games and there are two games that I'm not familiar with, which doesn't mean much because, uh, I am relatively new to get back into, uh, role-playing games. Um, and the first one I want to learn about, uh, Anthony, that you mentioned was slay and it's S L A. Um, but, uh, my understanding is you pronounce it slay. Um, can you give us an idea of, uh, first of all, what it is and why do you like, why are you playing it or what brought you in?
0: Well, I think, uh, gamers who were around for the original world of darkness, may have been exposed to Slay Industries as a role-playing game, but it's one of those games that people bought maybe and didn't play in as large uh, a number. I think a lot of people did play it. It moved around a lot through different uh, distributors and publishers. So it was successful. And it's, and why play it? It's, it's a very dark, dystopian game. And uh, you are in a position of playing operatives for a a giant megacorporation, and and we're far, far in the future, and these megacorps aren't fighting over cities or territories like they would in a Shadowrun. They're fighting over planets. Um, And so there are alien species and, and, and futuristic weapons, but what draws me to it still is its power dynamics and its politics. So Unlike most games out there, you're not playing for experience points per se. Your characters start out quite capable. They'll slowly become more capable. But what you're really playing for is your rank and position, your status within the company. So you get interesting. You're doing the crap jobs, kind of like the rat catcher in Warhammer, you know, you're doing crap jobs at the beginning, trying to claw your way up to getting more lucrative jobs but the jobs that you're doing expose the rotted white underbelly of the society that you live in. And are you playing the characters that don't care? And what does that say? And are you playing the characters that do care, but continue on that course of action anyway? And what does that say? And do you, do you feel compelled even in your fictional headspace to rise up against this adjustment, uh, this uh, injustice? Well, what does that say? And,
1: uh, <laughs> That's interesting. So it sounds like the setting was something that, that hooked you. Was there anything mechanically that you found um, interesting about the game? Yeah,
0: um, so much. I mean, it was it was quite hard to get into. I had the very first edition, which uh, needed some tweaks in a revised edition, but uh, like a 1.5 edition. But once I got that, it all fell into place. One of the coolest things I want to share about it is that it does away with rolled initiative. Hmm. So your character's attributes matter, and they matter all the time. So how tough you are, how much damage resistance the character has, how fast they are, all of these things come into play. So uh, depending on your traits, uh, characters and their opposition are sorted into action phases. One round has five phases, and you could act in... Some or all of them in the same order, which means players find it a lot easier to start organizing tactics as a group. They start thinking of themselves as I'm the guy who goes first, the right. two of us then have a coordinated action, and then I act independently again, and then we have another coordinated action, and then uh, my partner acts and I don't, and you know, this kind of thing. Yep, It's very Rich decision-making, removing the randomness. The randomness comes from when are the opponents acting. So it's, it's just a different way to play. Yeah. It's refreshing. And armor mattered. And so uh, as the incoming fire is coming in, the value of your armor is decreasing. So you need to make different decisions. Healing cool. is awful. So you don't want to get injured. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So all of these things I love. Oh, that's cool. Now, how about Ubiquity? Because I think that that's the one that you really um, are knee deep in now, right? Uh, Ubiquity, I, I mentioned earlier in the podcast that I was needing to to play differently. And that there was a game that that reminded me what I loved about gaming. So this was Ubiquity. And Ubiquity is a system. It appeared in a game called Hollow Earth Expedition uh, by Exile Games, which is exactly what it says on the tin. You are trapped inside the hollow earth. I mean, think the old Warlord comics or think mm-hmm. um, uh, an Indiana Jones kind of feel or, or what have you. And uh, there you are. You're trapped inside and you need to get out. That's, that's how you could play the game. Or you could play it in the 1930s on the surface and you're looking for the way in or... Interesting. Or what have you? This line has expanded to include Mars. So if you were in the in uh, Robert E. Howard, you know Martian Chronicles kind of or Edgar Rice Burroughs uh, mood, yeah. you could uh, you could do that. I mean, it's it's kind of cool, and it's it's meant. The system is very fast, and the system is designed to give you, let's say, an archetypal character. There are no character classes or things like that. You're building characters by by spending points and, and choosing what you like, but it's talking to you in a sense of who this who this person is. Are you playing Indiana Jones? Are you playing Indiana Jones' dad? Uh, have you decided to play Marcus for some reason? Uh, getting lost in your own library. You know, it's uh, all of these characters are viable and can work together. And for the person who likes to. Uh, spend points efficiently, <laughs> yeah. you can do that and create a very directed, maybe one-trick pony, in some people's perspective, character that can be successful, that isn't all weaknesses with one power move. Or you can do the opposite. You can try and make a broader character that you want to build into uh, a character who has developed over time because of what happened in play. So it's it's nice and flexible. There's no meta plot. There's no uh, game designer or writer telling you what's going to happen next in the world. So I like that. But the game that hooked me on Ubiquity was called All for One, Regime Diabolique, and this is a Musketeers game. So 17th, interesting, 17th century France, and everything supernatural that those people would have believed were real. You know, werewolves, demons uh vampires they are right and you are the king's musketeers you're protecting him against threats and well at night the threats are horrifying
1: <laughs> interesting so kind of he has a bit of a fantasy element to it but it also has the
0: horror which we have found out you like so that that combination is just it was just my sweet spot and that's the game that's my go-to game but uh, Ubiquity has a lot of different games. Uh, older gamers will recognize Space eighteen
1: eighty nine. Oh wow! Okay, yeah.
0: It's been revised. The original uh, the original writer was involved in the project. Uh, the game line is is now essentially complete. It was put out by a company called Clockwork. Uh, so that's that's pretty exciting. There is a fantasy setting called Desolation. High fantasy, really powerful magic, but it's after the world has ended. And okay. you are the survivors in the ruins. Like, good luck with that. <laughs> and, Interesting. Uh, the one that we're playing these days is called Leagues of Adventure. It's also by Triple Ace Games. And it's set in the 1890s. So it's got kind of a, a an era or a, an atmosphere of invention and exploration. The world is still... Various pockets around the world don't really know who each other are in any real sense. Sure. And so it's got weird science types of invention, like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea or the Time Machine and, and this kind of thing. And it uh, has expanded into Leagues of Gothic Horror and Leagues of Cthulhu. So there's, there's different campaigns. It's kind of like Edge of the Empire, Age of Rebellion, and Fantasy Flight Games. Yeah. you want a different flavor of the game, uh, it's all there for
1: you. And do the, are the mechanics universals? That kind of like uh, my old Gerps game was, where
0: you know you're playing, you're still mechanically playing the same game. You're just changing the setting. You're just you're changing the setting, and then there are certain mechanical tweaks. So Ubiquity came with some built in. So if you want a really high action, like an Indiana Jones movie where Indy gets hurt, you can see him getting hurt, but he can somehow manage to keep going. You can turn the dials up on the game system so that your characters are more effective, or you mm-hmm. can go the other way. And uh, and turn them way down like a, a lost city of Z kind of thing. Um, and so they are very, uh, very realistic. I hate, I shudder to say. So more fragile. Uh, <laughs> right, right. So that's kind of cool. And so the horror games add in horror elements for stress and strain and, and, uh, and that kind of stuff.
1: So having, again, going back to where we started, um, you know, we've got more than a few years um, you have been playing and watching it. Where do you see kind of role-playing games are now? Do you, would you can I've heard some people say that, that role and play, that this is the best time ever uh, historically for role-playing is I've heard people call it the golden age right now of role-playing games. Where do you think we are? Do you think that um, really, you know, both, you know, mechanically as far as acceptance, as far as uh, the number of people that are interested in playing it. Um, can Can you give us a sense of where you think we are in the, in the timeline history?
0: Well, you know, when we were kids, it was—I I felt it was harder to find people to play with. Either you introduced someone who'd never heard of it before, or they'd seen like the TSR ads in a comic book or something. You know, um, you were always introducing it to people. Uh, I have more people coming to me now saying, "I've always wanted to play, but I didn't know anybody." Uh, I, I find people are more proactive about it. I guess the the biggest change is our interconnectivity. I mean, you can now go online through video chat. It doesn't have to be video chat. It can just be audio chat. But you can connect with anybody in the world as long as your schedules sync up. So that game you've always wanted to play, there's now like zero reason why you can't.
1: And there's hundreds of people that are playing it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and and you'd be surprised. You might want to do it through a virtual tabletop, or you might just want to connect directly through... Uh, some kind of chat program that you're comfortable with, but you can't. You just have yeah. to let it be known that you've got that game and you want to play that game. And uh, uh, There are lots of role-playing game communities and some of them are super friendly and some of them are just social groups where no one's actually playing and some of them are yeah. all about the play. So, it, I don't know. I think labeling something a golden age, that's for the future to decide. Right. But uh, we're seeing it mentioned on TV. We are seeing it not mentioned on TV as an odd thing. We're seeing it as something that the characters are just doing in the background because that's what people did. Mm You know, like in the Stranger Things kind of vibe. And that's great for for bringing people in. Uh, Role-playing games have permeated culture through video games i would think of that as computer role-playing games but uh you know it's not an unheard of concept so you you want to really play a role-playing game here's one where you can literally do anything right that's that's the only hook you need and so it's a great time to be a gamer we're still arguing about stuff uh, we're still very tribal. I don't know why we yes. can't get away from. <laughs> we can't. <laughs> <laughs> <away>. We can't. <laughs> why can't I just let you like your
1: game? <laughs> oh boy, oh boy, don't you? That I'll tell you. You're gonna trigger me, man. That gets me started on stuff. I'll tell you. <laughs> um, we're. I'm gonna quickly move us on. Um, I would be curious because something that um, again, is new to me. It may have been around for a long time, but um, you know, as I was easing back into this um, hobby again, um, I was amazed at the amount of live play. Mm. broadcasts are out there. Um, both, you know, just people like you and me doing it, um, and you know, actual celebrity ones um, mm. you know, with, that have, you know, hundreds of thousands of people watching it at any point in time. I'd like to know kind of what you think about that, as as far as what, you know, that being present, do you think there's anything about it that helps, anything that hurts?
0: I, I'm so glad, I mean, the play is the thing, right? I mean, uh, I, I I'm one of those guys who has the big shelf of games, right? And people say, you can't possibly play all of those. Like, you know, you're just a collector. But I have played most of them, you know. uh, Just the ones that I've purchased in the last year haven't really ever hit the table. Right. So, I mean, I I buy games to play them. And uh, an unplayed game is a sad game. (laughs) I agree. I agree. So now, with actual play... Those barriers you were talking about before, people who are hesitant, you can point them at actual play of of whatever type of game, at least. If you can't find your exact game, you can find a type of game that people are playing, and maybe it's being played really well, or maybe mm-hmm. it's being played in a very casual style, or you know maybe the, the audio is bad and the video is bad, but they can see proof that people actually sit down and do this, and they can see that look in their eyes. Their eyes, at some point during play, where their enjoyment is maximized, they're having a, a great time. Go, Look, this is what this is what I want to do, and this is how I want to do it, and or I I want to do this, but not that. Makes right. it really easy. So that's awesome. Actual play as a learning tool is incredibly valuable. As a downside, people already find reasons not to do things. They 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 get in their own way. Oh, I could never do that. And then you show them someone who's a professional voice actor or who's uh, a public speaker who doesn't mind being on a stage in front of a thousand people or whatever. And they, oh, I could never do that. And then they make it true. And I find that that sad. So it's 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 our duty, maybe, to help them realize that they can, that they do it every day, that... You know, there isn't a moment that goes by where we're not imagining some other outcome. Some guy cuts you off on the highway and he's like, oh, you know, you're imagining that that didn't happen. (laughs) I've I've role played that one a few times. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, don't let people be intimidated by what they see in an actual play and and use it to to make your game better. I think is awesome. Record your own sessions and listen to yourself. How many times do you go? "Uh, uh Uh, and how nobody cared that you. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, (laughs) I'll tell you, it was, um, I have found it very
1: helpful for my group. Um, You know, obviously, we're putting it up on the channel for people to consume. But I think I would do it anyway, even if we never published it, because it has been, I think, very valuable for them as players to go back and watch what they what they made. Um, and it's been very interesting for me. There's been a few times where, you know, I'll be editing the episode, uh, the session and go, Oh wait, I need. I, I need to write this down. You know, this yeah. this is something that I kind of like glossed over, but you know, now we're three sessions later and this is going to come bite him in the ass. So, yeah, yeah. Um, it's 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 definitely very, very interesting. Um, well, Anthony, I really appreciate you taking the time, my friend. Um, like I said, at the very beginning, a huge fan of uh, what you're doing uh, for the game uh, itself.
0: Is there any uh, shout outs or plugs that you'd like to get out there? Well, we've talked about some of my favorites already. I mean, you know, triple ACE games. Uh, if, you know, if you're into that kind of play, that pulp, heroic uh, play style, then uh, you're going to find a lot of very cool things for Savage Worlds or for Ubiquity at, at AAA's games. Uh, so that's great. And if you're an older gamer uh, like us, <laughs> uh, then uh, definitely check out the products by the design mechanism. They do a game called Mithras, which is a, a D100-based game. So this, this is a long lineage. This is, you know, one of the oldest games or one of the oldest lineages for System out there. They've just released uh, a Leoness role-playing game based on the writings of of Jack Vance. Wow. And uh, it really feels like the books. And cool. that's, that's quite an accomplishment. So, yeah, there's so much cool stuff out there. Anyway, play games. <laughs> all right. Well, guys, I'll have links to all of that in the show notes. Um, and
1: for those of you that stuck around to the end, thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch so you don't miss uh, the avalanche of content we create. Links are in the show notes. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest in gaming apparel and gear. There you'll also find the latest information for the U.S. Faux Tour. Find out where you rank in your conference or even in the entire United States. Get those models built, painted, and ready so we can see you at the next U.S. Faux Tour Masters event. Please take a moment to write a review of this pod on your favorite platform. Rating and reviewing helps us find more listeners almost as cool as you are. Be sure to share this feed with all of your friends who love tabletop gaming. Thanks for listening. Hi, friend. Craig here. Is this episode making you realize you need to buy some models? Gadzooks Gaming is my favorite online retailer because of their large selection, killer prices, and great customer service. Don't you hate buying an entire crew box when you only need one model? Gadzooks sells crew box models individually and saves you a ton of money. They even have free shipping to the U.S. and Canada if you spend $100 or more. Swing by gadzooksgaming.com and make sure you tell them Craig from the Third Floor sent you. All the details are in the show notes. Howdy folks, Craig here. Now if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring, along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. All right, this next one's going to be all you. I'm actually pretty excited about this because <laughs> uh, I have—I lied on—I have read a little bit about it, um, but I didn't want to read too much about it because I think it'll be better if I learn at the same time as the audience.
0: Um, cool. Which one do you want to talk about first, Slayer Ubiquity? Ubiquity. Um, let's talk about Slayer because I'm likely to have less to say about it, and that means we'll get to Ubiquity. If we start me off on Ubiquity, Perfect. we'll go forever. <laughs> all right, I'll bring us back. Right, so you see, I
1: dropped the break because we we're just we were, we had a rhythm going. <laughs> oh. So people have to listen to two ads in a row now. <laughs> they don't like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny. I mean, it. Um, I I used to be when I first started this podcast, I would be super rigid, you know, about about the structure that I put together, and I luckily have gotten over that because <laughs> I think it's better for the listeners instead of um, just to kind of see where things go. Um, it feels more live. Yeah. Um, so what do you want?
0: What do you think is would be important for this next segment about fantasy flight games, star Wars? Yeah. I think we have to talk about the dice. Yep. And, uh, did you run the, the printed adventures?
1: So that's what I've been doing with this group. Um, and that's been a combination. I I am definitely more a, let's just create a world together. Type GM, um, but I haven't done this in a long time, sure. and I actually found fi- I actually found the printed stuff um, even just out of the beginner game and the G- Game Master games were, were pretty good yeah. and weren't as railroady as as um, I remember things being. So, um, <laughs> but I'm looking forward. With, with this group and another group that I'm working with to kind of get to that point but because so many of them are new to it um, they haven't been so let's we'll do let's start off talking about the dice um, and what, what made this system different and what made the system interested, uh, interesting to you because obviously you spent a lot of time not only playing it but also producing uh, stuff on that and I'll just kind of pick your brain a little bit sure. does that sound alright? Sounds great Great Got it um, so what I'm hoping to do with this next segment Anthony is um kind of pick some of the stuff uh obviously we're not going to do all your videos right but (laughs) what i what i what i hope to learn is some things that um you have taught in your videos or that you've you know taught friends as you've been playing that really can up people's enjoyments as players and um you know talk about what uh what that means and we look at that pretty (laughs) pop and you know kind of what that means um and uh, one of the things I'll say as we introduce the segment is, you know, you know, I, I, I'll say, you know, we're talk about becoming a better player. And I'll talk about, you know, that doesn't mean like a better tabletop player because that in- indicates a winning and a losing. And I'll, I'll do sure. that part of the intro. Um, but I kind of just want to leave it open for you. Um, okay. And uh, I'm sure we'll end up uh, talking about a million things. So all right, I'll so. bring us back. All right.